Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Hope Matumbu. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. Myalgic encephalitis and chronic fatigue syndrome, commonly and collectively known as ME-CFS, is a complex acquired illness with many symptoms whose presentation and severity vary from person to person. Symptoms are related to the dysfunction of the brain, gastrointestinal, immune, endocrine and cardiac systems. Thank you so much to all of the healthy allies, friends, families, children, dads, mums, aunts, uncles, everybody who's turned up to support this um, event, which is supported by Emerge Australia and Emmy Action Global Grassroots Organisation for Patients. Um, there's 250,000 of us in Australia who at the moment have struggled to get any kind of medical care whatsoever. There's 17 million of us worldwide. We cost the Australian government four point something billion in, uh, in terms of the burden of this disease and we get at the moment that much funding from biomedical research from the government. So our number one ask is that the government Whatever government is going to come in will fund, help fund research so that we can work out what's going on with our bodies, so that we can get treatments, so that we can get our lives back. On this show, you'll hear experiences from people living with ME-CFS who attended the Millions Missing Melbourne Rally hosted by Emerge Australia, a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to education, support and community advocacy around ME-CFS. You'll also hear an interview with Dr. Lisa Smith, a qualified medical practitioner and teacher who has suffered herself from ME-CFS all of her adult life. First up, Let's hear from Dr. Lisa Smith. Thanks, Hope. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I'm uh, Dr. Lisa Smith from New Life Medical, and I would be considered a specialist GP. I now work largely with um, people who suffer from ME-CFS, from adrenal fatigue-related conditions, chronic illness, and especially the secondary um, aspects of um, anxiety and depression that are often associated with these conditions. And this largely, largely um, sort of feels out my practice now. So, yes, I've had ME-CFS myself since the age of 17, um, following what was pretty common at the time, a fairly severe bout of glandular fever. And 
in a sense, it was a case of going to bed sick and not knowing that you would never wake up feeling actually well again. So, I mean, at my worst, I was bed bound for months to years and unable to feed myself or get to the bathroom unassisted. Mm. Um, and at my best, and we're sort of highly disciplined pacing management and all the symptom management techniques that I now teach my patients, I am able to practice part-time and enjoy a happy, although sort of disability-modified, obviously, uh, family life. But in terms of the illness itself, and I think all of those with lived experience know that it makes your usual life challenges many, many, many times more difficult. So study, work, family life, every forward step is like just sort of wading through concrete. So no surprises, it also takes much, much longer, um, you know, often by years. Um, from a career point of view, obviously I've always had to make decisions that take into account the physical constraints of my ME. Mm. So whether that's studying from sort of a bed-bound position, organising job share roles, in terms of the hospital years, um, you know, declining dream jobs that would increase my relapse risk, you know, choosing to work part-time. Ultimately, the things that all of us have to do, which is basically working at coming to accept and embrace the new me that sort of ME demands. Mm. And interestingly, if I also might add, having said all of that, probably the heaviest burden personally um, would have been losing close family and friends who just don't understand the illness. And yeah. how severely impairing it is. A lot of people with lived experience of MECFS commonly report that interactions with health and other medical professionals um, are a bit patronizing and often a humiliating experience where they're mm-hmm. mostly not believed. Um, as a person in this profession, uh, what kind of resistance and or support do you face in your ongoing work? So you're right. Look, unfortunately, many who suffer from MECFS have had just really suboptimal experiences with their healthcare professionals. And that's been a sad reality for a very long time, both in achieving a diagnosis and getting empathetic support in managing their condition. Interestingly, being medical has not protected me from the fairly typical runaround mm. of you know multiple referrals, vague diagnosis, and that sort of ever-hovering like judgment judgmental sort of question mark that comes with having a chronic illness that is not well understood and not easily treated. So the personal experience, I guess, that I have had in the same way has um, actually really been one of the reasons that I broadened my own practice to work more closely with this community. I think having said that in defence of my medical colleagues to some extent, I have noticed that in recent years there's a considerable shift toward a genuine interest and concern as to how, how do we offer help to those with MECFS so I would like to think that now it is less about not caring and more about not knowing, which is, is sort of why increased awareness and obviously professional education is so important. My name's Krista Callanan. I'm 39 years old. I've had ME for six years. Um, I am a patient, but also I'm an, now an activist. I want to see change for ME. Um, I excuse me. I very early on, around about the three month mark, had a, a GP first suggest that perhaps chronic fatigue syndrome might be what was making me so unwell. Uh, it was for, it took four years to get a, to finally get a formal diagnosis that I had chronic fatigue syndrome which is not a name that we like using 
chronic fatigue is one symptom of about 40-odd symptoms that we experience. Uh, we prefer to call ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is the original name that the World Health Organization um, came up with back in the 1950s, early 60s. Mm. It is very evident that, particularly when you face um, certain doctors, that um, the, the women are far taken far less seriously when we present with particularly when you're looking at such vague symptoms, a broad range of symptoms as ME um, if you are unlucky enough to find a majority of doctors out there who aren't familiar with the international consensus criteria to diagnose ME with there's so many symptoms that you can end up presenting with um, and very often you're met with a bunch of tests that are the general tests that everyone does and they're just looking at something coming up in the tests. Um, they rule out uh, other things, find that they can't diagnose you with something obvious and then give you a... A random diagnosis of well it could be chronic fatigue syndrome um, it's it's not good enough it's um, women in in this country deserve better um, than you know, the 75 80% of us um, being more likely to be ignored um, by your doctor also having a condition that they're unfamiliar with the 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 stigma that goes along with it the it's it's an uphill battle the whole way um look women do have it hard um with any autoimmune disease not just me um but to be fair men also have a tough time of getting diagnosed as well um, although they tend to only make up um, maybe 20% of um, sufferers um, they are also um, likely to be dismissed um, and ignored Women on the Line and, you know, certainly given the gendered nature of MECFS, uh, where women seem to be disproportionately affected, there may also be an added layer of bias in how people would be treated. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the relationship between MECFS and gender? So, look, yes, look, as you're probably aware and you sort of mentioned, that women are affected, uh, you know, at a much higher rate of up to sort of three to four times that of men. So, a four-to-one ratio, and, and look, there's been a long history, like centuries, of illnesses that largely affect women being categorised broadly in the sort of vast unknown with terms such as hysteria and invalidism, you know, invalidism and that sort of thing. Those are well covered, actually, in Jennifer Breyer's film, Unrest, which mm. I would recommend to your listeners. It's but on Netflix, it, yes, it's great. Yeah. Mm. Having said that, of course, eventually, thanks to, like, you know, rigorous research and scientific progress and so on, Many and many of those conditions have now been clearly identified. They're diagnosable and to varying extent, you know, they are treatable. 
So uh, sadly, it does sort of still fit into that sort of centuries-old category. But broadly, in terms of, you know, what do women suffer in particular with ME-CFS, I would say that the additional dimension for them is that the enormous toll that the illness takes on their lifestyle choices. For some women, it drastically affects their confidence and their capacity to raise children. Um, you know, if that was a hope, if that was, you know, one of their own hopes. And for others, you know, that may already have children, the physical constraints of the illness, including like, you know, the profound exercise intolerance, the neurocognitive problems, often chronic pain, and the myriad of what we call secondary effects of MSCFS, so the social isolation, the impaired work capacity, all of these elements really put an enormous load on these women. And that's an area where, you know, increased, look, you know, community support, home health services, just practical support from neighbours, family and friends becomes so essential. Women's on a line. <laughs> Women on the line. Women on the line. (laughs) On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. You were just listening to the experiences of people living with myalgic encephalitis and chronic fatigue syndrome, commonly and collectively known as ME-CFS. You have also been listening to my conversation with Dr. Lisa Smith, a qualified medical practitioner and teacher who has suffered herself from ME-CFS all of her adult life. Let's get back into our conversation. Obviously, you know, speaking of family and friends, I, I, I guess obviously for a lot of people from the MECFS community, um, they're highly, you know, it's a highly mobilized community and has a huge presence online, garnered over years, you know, fighting and advocating fiercely. Um, what yeah. is your relationship like with the MECFS community? Um, look, fundamentally, um, I hope I say, you know, good on them. They, they are poised now like no time in history to really be heard. It's, a, it's just a, I find it a very difficult disjunction that a community that is often severely impaired have had to take it on themselves to fight for justice and validity and appropriate advocacy. But there's no question that their collective work has created a groundswell of, of interest and awareness. For example, the, you know, the powerful you know, global sort of hashtag millions missing campaign, which was held across Australia last week and Melbourne just yesterday, Decided for just hundreds and hundreds of shoes, just representing literally the millions of active, talented, previously healthy lives that are now missing. Mm. And regarding the community, I'd, I'd also, I'd, I'd like to take the opportunity to make a shout out to Dr. Heidi Nichol and her team at Emerge Australia, the you know the peak national support body for the MECFS community, just to acknowledge their really hard work on the online, on the ground, in the office of MPs recently hosting the International Research Symposium, they are absolutely focused on accessing funding, on advocacy in regards to disability support, on improving information and support services, all of those, you know, vital needs of the MSCSS community. My name's Hannah. I have had ME for four years now. I got glandular fever and I cha- my functioning changed overnight. Uh, So I'm in quite a few of the Facebook groups. I actually run uh, video calls once a fortnight to uh, where we, a bunch of us chat about what's going on because a lot of us can't get out to see friends. Uh, So we lose that social interaction. 
So these online groups allow us to get that social interaction without costing us too much energy. And the hardest thing is being told there's nothing you can do. It's like I want to be able to do something, to, even if it's just going to improve my functioning a little bit, at just anything. <laughs> Sitting there doing nothing is the worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, the health minister, Greg Hunt, um, announced a three, $3 million to fund research into MECFS. How mm. much can be achieved with this kind of money and do you think it's adequate? Look, it's a good question. Firstly, look, may I say I was personally grateful for Minister Hunt's sort of empathetic response for the MECFS community. Um, the reality is, however, it sort of has to be stated that there's been a massive disparity in Australia in terms of funding for MECFS relative to other chronic conditions over many years. So without boring you sort of with the statistics, this can be in the order of, you know, 100 times less the, the financial and fiscal support, despite the number of Australians often being in the order of hundreds of thousands more, you know, who suffer from MECFS. So we're certainly glad to be getting off the starting blocks in terms of research funding, although, as those in the field well know, this sort of figure is, is you know, it's, it is swallowed up quickly. So from an MECFS point of view, the community needs, it needs a commitment to long-term, consistent and ideally exponentially increasing funding so that we can progress to really good quality research. Obviously, research, you know, the research is, is it's a broad, broad spectrum of research that's still needed into biomedical and physiological causes, into establishing reliable diagnostic markers and, of course, in, in finding effective treatments. Women on the line. Do you have any take-home messages for those who suffer from MECFS today? Well, you might have to come here off if I get kind of um, excited on this, <laughs> sort of get carried away. But look, as a doctor and a fellow sufferer of MECFS, I, I would like to say, I guess, there's three important things. One is I would say don't wait for your doctors to get more educated or for the, you know, the reliable diagnostic test, for the research breakthrough, for the NDI, NDI support. These are all absolutely critical points of progress. But on a day-to-day personal level, I would say really commit to maximising your, your quality of life. Listen to your body. Do the simple health and wellbeing things that you can. Get sunshine, even with your eye mask on. Water, fresh air, whole fresh food, high energy nutrients, very gentle movement as you can. Number two, you know, and I can't emphasise this enough, prioritise your mental health. MECFS is a very rugged ride. So pacing is obviously critical to, to gaining some control and management of the condition. But again, don't be shy to trade some days and for some, sadly, it, it may be weeks of bed rest to have a friend over for a cuppa, to paint a little bit, to listen to a favourite podcast, to watch a sunset. Actively get help to achieve those small things. And I, and I need to say, I guess, from a clinical point of view, I'm absolutely not advocating pushing yourself to achieve this. On the contrary, actively build in enough preparation and recovery time and spend that time enjoying the happy memory that you created. So, yeah, number two, absolutely look after your mental health, prioritise that. And thirdly, I would say, um, and I'm not sure if this is a bit controversial or not, but it's certainly something I feel strongly about, is take courage in helping make MECFS visible. So wear your sunglasses in the shopping centre if that's what you need to do. Use your walker or your wheelchair. Put on your headphones in the waiting room. I would say don't be shy to use your daily aids to help improve your quality of life.
and sort of I guess there was a bit of a side to that and this is something I've learnt over um, you know, a long time but to some extent we can't expect other people, others to really listen to, respect and acknowledge our disability until we really do that for ourselves. Oh, look, family and friends, you know, the important thing is if you have a loved one that has MECFS, I think it's really important that you know and accept that they have an abnormal biological response to activity and exercise and that it's something that you will never likely fully understand. Mm. Secondly, I would say think creatively about simple aids that could help their quality of life. It's very hard for someone with constant brain fog and poor sleep to think this way themselves. So installing dimming light, you know, getting an easy roller trolley by the bed, rotating you know, beautiful scenery pictures on their wall if they can't get out of bed, bringing around bite-sized fresh food that's already prepared. Those little things really count. Mm. Thirdly, I would say never take, and this is, I guess, in, in some ways probably something I'd get to say, hold on to this and, <laughs> forever. Never take it personally. If they cannot text, call, receive you, or attend an event, even though they had hoped to. Because MECFS is an unrelenting, unpredictable, and very, very difficult condition to manage. And I think essentially non-judgmental support from family, friends, school, work, employers, healthcare professionals, people in their life who understand the seriousness of MECFS can absolutely change and critically protect lives. My name is Louisa Stocko. I'm from Adelaide in South Australia and I've come here with my parents to do the Millions Missing campaign. Um, I have had diagnosed chronic fatigue for three and a half years and I have fibromyalgia as well. Um, it was very difficult to get diagnosed. Um, I spent about a year going to different specialists, probably about 10 to 15 different specialists all up. Um, and I was first diagnosed with reflux and post-viral fatigue and lots of other things until they came to kind of the final conclusion of chronic fatigue after ruling everything else out. Um, we haven't been given any government funding. I don't get the NDIS. I don't get the DSP. Um, I used to be a very um, active dancer, performer, singer. Um, I was a high achiever, great grades, um, completed year 12 with a huge ATAR and um, was performing around Australia with a touring company and that's when I started to get sick. The communities are great. I'm part of maybe five. There's some that are just Adelaide-based, some that are Australia-based, some for fibro, some for CFS. Um, they're really good. I really like them. There's some for younger people, which I prefer those groups because I guess we all have a similar experience trying to navigate uh, being a young adult with a chronic illness. So, yeah, I really appreciate those communities and uh, you can just write down frustrations you have or, you know, share conversations with people who have your shared experience. Mm. Um, I'm very lucky within my close community that my family and friends are all extremely understanding. They're very supportive and they do anything they can to support me. However, it's very difficult to explain my circumstance when... Uh, we don't even know, know a cause or a cure for it. So uh, I guess for me it's still a mystery. Um, but I think the wider community could probably do a little bit more with their understanding and kind of acknowledging that not all illnesses are visible, kind of not looking for, you know, an a, a ailment with me when I'm in my wheelchair, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a long way to go. But in general, the community are pretty supportive and are willing to do what they can to learn more about it.
And you mentioned um, Emerge Australia before, um, but is there anywhere else uh, people uh, can go to support the MECFS community um, or connect with some of the research and action that's happening? Yeah, sure. So I think I would say hope to your listeners, to the broader community, and especially like the family of the friends of those who suffer from MECFS, I would say initially keep talking, ask questions, stay connected, hop onto the Facebook groups, just, just you know, in, increase the level of communication and awareness around it. And I really, I think I would reinforce, I would start with Emerge Australia. Dr Heidi Nickel and her fantastic team are, are working around the clock to support, educate and advocate for the MECVS community. Uh, I would say if you have any, get in touch. If you want to support their great work, think about donating, especially to further, you know, the good quality biomedical research we need. And I'd say from, from a government and public policy point of view, you know, for people who happen to be interested or from that sort of slant, moving toward equity in both the long-term research funding and disability support is honestly absolutely time critical for this community. Mm. And, and millions of missing people's lives really do depend on all of us, whether we suffer from MECFS or not, all of us connecting, engaging and, and really sort of ramping up the conversation around, you know, how severely impaired many of these people are. Um, thank you so much for speaking with us uh, for Women on the Line. That's an absolute pleasure, Hope. Thanks so much for your interest. We've come to the end of our show where we brought you the experiences of people living with myalgic encephalitis and chronic fatigue syndrome, commonly and collectively known as ME-CFS. You've also been listening to my conversation with Dr. Lisa Smith, a qualified medical practitioner and teacher who has suffered herself from ME-CFS all of her adult life. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and non-binary broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcasts across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show. So send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Le Tigre. I'm Hope Matumbu and I hope you can tune in again next time.
on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs>